Have you ever had a conflict or rivalry with a fellow female employee? Have you ever been bullied by another woman in the workplace? Is female rivalry in the workplace a myth or a fact? And if it's a fact, why does it happen? Why do some women sabotage other women in the workplace? Why do we consider it normal to tear apart another woman? What can we do to protect us from being a target? And most importantly, what can we do to avoid becoming a bully? And also, how can we turn female rivalry into fuel to grow together? Join me after the intro for a conversation with a very special friend with whom we will answer this and many more questions. Stay tuned. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure what that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is it so difficult to truly forgive? How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rosanna D and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and not judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Try Show. As women, it's not unusual for us to internalize what's happening around us and blame ourselves. Early in my career, I had never heard of female rivalry. As a matter of fact, I never thought of myself as being a woman at work, but rather being a professional at work. And the same for all my colleagues, irrespective of their gender. And competition was never mors tua vita mea. I can only survive if you die, as the Romans used to say. But rather competition with myself. And now each day I could be and do better than the day before. It was only in the last couple of years that I had to come to terms with the fact that Rivalry at work does exist, especially among women. And it can be rather damaging for our career, but also, and most importantly, at personal level. But what are the drivers of female rivalry? What are the consequences? Is it possible to turn that rivalry into fuel that makes us all grow together? And if so, how can we do it? Now, these are only some of the questions that we want to talk about and address today with our guest, Amber Tishnor. Amber has a PhD in IO psychology and is the founder of To Be Coaching and Consulting. She's uh, also a thought leader on the topic of women's rivalry with 20 plus years of experience as an organizational change strategy and leadership consultant, where she helped businesses through transformational change. She is also a published author of the book Behind Frenemy Lines, Rising Above Female Rivalry to Be Unstoppable Together, which is published by Morgan James Publishing. 
Amber's goal is to promote collaboration over competition, to empower women to find their voice, leave the rivalry behind, and team up with a community of like-minded women who support each other to be unstoppable together. Wow, what a beautiful mission, Amber. Hi, welcome Hi. So to the Forgive and Try show. Thank you for having me. I've, I'm so happy to be here and talk with you today. No, thank you. I, I'm very much excited to talk about this, uh, this topic we were just mentioning before starting. It's a topic that unfortunately very often we don't talk about and we keep uh, under the carpet, as, as we say. But before diving into that, I'm a little bit curious uh, about <laughs> yourself. <laughs> and uh, uh, I just read something about your, your bio, but I, I wanted to leave most of it to, to yourself. And in particular, it, it would be nice to understand how you came into talking and studying so much about women's rivalry. Well, yes, thank you. It um, It's not your everyday topic, that's for sure. <laughs> and so with um, my background, it's IO psychology is industrial organizational psychology. So it's the, the psychology of the working environment. And so when I was writing my um, dissertation for my PhD, I had to write about a problem I saw at hand. Um, I also knew I very much wanted something to do with women. And um, I was at a very well-known client in Washington, D.C., working while I'm going to school. And I saw it. I saw this thing happening. I saw good women walking. I saw a negative culture blossoming and no one was talking about it. I call it the elephant in the boardroom. And it... Um, was hugely disruptive. It wasn't just disruptive to the women at hand who were encountering it. It was disruptive to everybody on the outskirts because you were walking on eggshells. You didn't know if it would turn towards you. You know, you didn't know whose side to take, what to do, how to respond. And so that led me to focus on this topic. And I took a huge deep dive into it and I was fascinated by it. And up until that point in time, I'd had little bits throughout my life. Like I remember starting back in grade school or things in college or at work, but not ever a huge rivalry. And so fast forward, um, I kept collecting stories from women and not only women at work, but women in everyday living from family members or, or social groups, their church, their neighborhood. And I was working as a consultant and I was dealing with, I was in a frustrating situation and dealing with a woman that I could not make it work, but it never clicked with me that this is what I was dealing with. And it was bad until my mom said to me one day when I was driving into work, um, I hate to see how you doubt yourself all because of this woman. And I, I had one of those I still get chills when I think about it because I had like, I would have had a light bulb above my head, like a cartoon character. And I thought, oh my gosh, I studied this in depthly. And how, how did I not see it? So that was my trigger to, to focus on this for my business. And I thought if I've studied it as much as I have, if I was in a rivalry situation and I didn't see it, it occurring, 
what's it doing to women who don't have the knowledge that I have? And so um, that sparked my fire. And that's how I came to be (laughs) studying this topic and having it around as a focus for my business. That's so very interesting. And uh, you mentioned it a few times. This is not something that we recognize. It's not something that we talk about. Uh, it, It takes really knowledge to, to understand uh, what, what it is really. And as I said in the introduction, uh, I had uh, several e- experiences in that sense during my life, but I never really pinpoint that to rivalry until very recently when it was big, really, really big. So let's take one step backward and, yep. uh, and let's think about a little bit of education in that sense. How would you define female rivalry? So there are lots of, well, when I did my research, there was no definition. I'll put it there. I had to go to a rivalry definition or a competition definition, and none of that was really what I felt hit the nail on the head, you know? So I came up with my own, and it is one woman minimizing another woman so they both feel small, smaller than they really are, Female rivalry hurts individuals, teams, and organizations. And I so often get asked, well, I get the small part, but why both women feel small? And um, because there's no winners in this behavior. If you are viciously targeting somebody else, how can you feel good about yourself? So there's a reason why you may not understand it. Um, It may be hard to wrap your arms around it, but in my mind, this behavior is negative on both sides. Whether or not the woman projecting the behavior will actually acknowledge she's doing it or not, um, I firmly believe to do ugly things to somebody else, you can't be happy with your own self. I totally agree. And uh, I put a little uh, um, sort of um, addition to that if you are um, like a, let's say, quote unquote, normal uh, person. Obviously there are people who have tendency uh, like psychopath, but you know, we go into a completely different part of the spectrum, you know. Um, There are just mean people out there. I firmly believe that, but uh, as a regular human to human, you cannot feel good about yourself if you are trying to tear somebody down. Or if you can't, I don't understand it. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally with you on this. We are exactly on the same boat. So why does it happen? Why uh, one woman tend to tear apart another woman? Uh, as we, you know, I, I, Again, I don't understand it. You said you, I don't understand. So what, why does that happen? So every, it's not a black and white behavior. Um, every situation is going to be different, but I think fundamentally it comes back to, um, lack of self-esteem, the need for the, for control. Um, I am a firm believer that women who like themselves and are happy in their own skin like other women. So I think a lot of it stems from a source of unhappiness within. Um, It could be how you are raised. Maybe you have a prominent female figure and these, 
you mirroring, you're mirroring these types of behaviors. Maybe it's um, a less than mentality. You were taught you were never good enough. And so you're always trying to cut or tear down to be better. Um, at work, maybe there's uh, perceived not enough room at the top. I mean, there are so many different things, but fundamentally, I think it's a low self-esteem and truly not being happy in your own skin. Those are the key things, yes. That, that's interesting because, uh, you know, at work, for example, the large majority, or at least I, I come from a place, I work in STEM, uh, which yes. is a, a male-dominated uh, environment with 85, sometimes 90% of people being uh, male. And you see these women that, are, I normally say they don't look like women. Um, they look externally, uh, physically uh, like, like women, but they don't behave like one and they behave more like male. Masculine, yes. They have very strong masculine traits. And is it because of the culture? So are we affected by that culture? So we want to emulate what male are doing? I um, think that's a part of it. I think especially in a male-dominated um, industry or environment, there's probably the perceived notion of less room at the top or, you know, because it, there are more men than there are women. Um and you hit on something, um, men are usually more overtly aggressive. Like that's just their behavior at when little boys and little girls are born, they're born with the same types of aggressive behavior. So this was like the foundation of my research. When little girls are probably seven, eight years old, they develop emotional intelligence, um, before little boys, or social intelligence. And so they are that with what comes with that is they are able to, um, instead of overt aggression, they can have the indirect aggression. And so that's where you'll see the passive aggressive behaviors, the responding with verbal versus physical aggression. So girls have a one up on boys with that. And so that is some of the gender differences that I've seen as to how women, you know, I'm totally generalizing, not everybody's going to fit in these buckets, but as a whole, women are different in the way they approach aggression than men are. That's so interesting. In fact, I found uh, a piece of, uh, um, uh, from a book that Catherine Crowley and Katie Elster wrote, Mean Girls at Work, how to yeah. stay professional when things get personal. And in fact, what they've wrote is, women are complicated. While most of us want to be kind and nurturing, we struggle with our darker side, feelings of jealousy, envy, and competition. While men tend to compete in an overt manner, joking for position and fight to be crowned winners, women often compete more covertly and behind the scenes. And this yes. covert competition and indirect aggression are at the heart of mean behavior among women at work. So I seem to agree. Yeah, to, to agree. So, it's so true. I think with women, no matter if it's at work, if it's your family or if it's your friendships, we often look towards our own identity in comparison of other women's. It's just kind of inherent, inherent within women. Um, 
And then if there is this competition, it's not always about the issue at hand. Later, it could be, well, you drive a horrible car or your son's doing horrible in math, you know, like it, it festers and it grows and it becomes about other things where for men, if Bob and Jim are in the boardroom and they have an issue, Bob, I don't like how you handled that. Well, Jim, do something about it. But an hour later, they could be on the golf course having a beer together and it's all behind them. Women, it will fester and it grows into something probably more at hand than what the actual incident was. That's so, so interesting. And also this aspect of being more covert that, you know, then uh, with, with men makes it more difficult to, to recognize. So what, what would be the signs? Because I, I think a lot of us have experiences uh, yeah. to, to life, but then you never think, oh, you know, this is really rivalry, right? This person is uh, damaging me because for, for this reason, because of jealousy, because of competition, whatever. Um, so what are the signs that we really need to pay attention to? So I think often, and you're, you're right on with it, some of the signs are very, it's a slippery slope because um, something can happen. Maybe um, Mary says something to me at work and I'm like, what? or does something to me. And I think, no, she wouldn't do that. That wasn't nice. I have done nothing to her, so I must be imagining it. So it will often start small and then it will grow. And the thing is, it really, um, it hits on your own self-esteem and the self-doubt aspect. And so if the person who is instigating this type of behavior has done it before or is good at it, chances are it's not occurring in front of other people. Chances are it's behind closed doors. Um, so when I had it happened at work, when it was a big, I was slowly, I would be um, disinvited to meetings. Um, she was giving me work, but also giving somebody else the same work. She'd say something to me in a meeting when no one else is around, but would say something different in front of the group. There would be certain group things that I wouldn't, I wasn't told about. I was left off of important um, information that I needed to do my job. And so I began to feel crazy, like, what's going on? Like, but I didn't know I was missing information until one day somebody said, well, aren't you going to that meeting? It's a team meeting. And I said, well, no, actually, I wasn't invited. I do remember I got up and went to that one. But it's little things and it's not going to be clear to somebody else, usually, that it's occurring. And so it will make you feel crazy. That's why it's often not talked about because it's hard to verbalize what I tell women to do. If you feel this could be happening to you but aren't really sure, document, 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 write it down, write the things down that are happening. And, and as time progresses, you'll begin to see patterns emerge. That is so important because I, I agree. I mean, when you are the target of these uh, behaviors, sometimes, as you said, you, you start thinking, oh, perhaps I misunderstood, or perhaps I didn't see this, or perhaps mm -hmm. it was just a uh, 
um, something that they forgot to, to do. And it, it's only if you take note of everything, then you can see, as you said, the, the pattern. What about support? Because I, my experience, at least, the, the one yeah. that opened my eyes, yeah. uh, was, um, was a very peculiar one because we, uh, the, the person was my former, now, best friend. And, uh, and that was uh, uh, a little bit um, even more, more difficult than just a, a pure uh, female rivalry uh, at work. And um, one thing that I remember it was I was going through a, a difficult time anyway, and I always felt supported by her. And it was only afterwards when thinking about it, those situations when I felt supported, it was always support given behind closed doors, you know, in yes. the same way you got that rivalry or you experience that rivalry, I experienced the support behind closed doors. Or, for example, when we were having dinner uh, at a restaurant in town. Yeah. But it was never an open support in, in a difficult situation. So how is that su support enters in, in the scene? So the it's a tricky one because so often you may not recognize, I know with me, which is shocking, I didn't recognize it was occurring in the moment. Often it's not until you step away um, that you may think, what's going on? Um, but I, I, first off, I am a firm believer of listen to your gut intuition. Your body can tell you things are not right. So I think it's huge to listen to that. I think support is huge at you know and it's equally for you that's a double whammy because that was not only a colleague she was your best friend like that's hugely hurtful um you can seek support i've had women tell me they've gone to hr um that's a fine line too because i've had women say that the hr folks didn't believe them show me proof that's when it comes back to the document, document, document. So at work, if are feeling like these things are happening behind closed doors, um, maybe ask that somebody from HR or somebody else can join a meeting with you. Or maybe email, keep track of everything in email, um, you know, find ways to document it. I guarantee if somebody else is in a meeting with you, the behavior will not show itself. But you know it's there. And so... Um, Again, it's the documenting it. It's um, I I got to the point where I would almost verbatim take notes of our meetings. And she said to me one time, wow, you're such a good note taker. And I thought, yeah, I'm covering my backside because I know you're going to tell me something differently later. And this, you know, is the proof I have. So support in it, it can be tricky, especially if you're not consciously aware I wasn't aware, but I knew what was happening at work wasn't staying at work. It was coming home with me. It was affecting how I was with my family and my children and my friends. And I, my world felt gray. I lost my sparkle and shine. And so when you keep getting squished down flatter and flatter and flatter, it's super hard to find your voice because especially if you can't 
find tangible enough behavior to wrap your arms around what it is. Absolutely. And I think it's uh, even more difficult if you are experiencing a situation that is tricky anyway, uh, yes. outside, because then uh, obviously that person, for example, in my case, that person seemed to support me. So yes. why do I, uh, am I going, you know, uh, to doubt her when I have other issues? Uh, yeah, to, to deal and with. she's your friend, you know, you're exactly. a whammy. Yeah, you're not going to doubt her probably. You're probably were shocked. <laughs> well, to be honest, it was only when I was doing therapy. Uh, yeah. You know, my therapist started to ask very specific questions. Yeah. And, and then I, I had to sit down and really rethink all the timeline and every single episode and when things happened and who was there and all the situation, what it was said and who said. And well, you were out of it. So it was that hindsight, that reflection. I bet it would have been very hard. Well, unless you were having, um, talking with your therapist during it, but it you, it's hard. You need to bounce it off of somebody. So that was your support later, not in the moment. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I didn't have the support at the time. And uh, I didn't doubt about it for a very long time, even afterwards. Yeah. So when we understand that in our body, something is not right. As yes. you said, we have this gut feeling that mm, here there is something that probably I need to investigate. What sort of question can we ask to ourselves? Because I think, I think yeah. that's, that's important. Sorry. Uh, I think that's important. If we don't start questioning uh, why am I feeling like this? Yeah. yeah. Then obviously. I think you look at what's going on in your life. I So with me, silly as it sounds, I knew that I was ready for a change in what I was doing. Like I was consulting, but I'd been on a long-term project and I knew I was, it was time to move on. The problem was it was easy for my lifestyle. I had two little children at home. I could work some from home. I, you know, I had flexible hours. And so I wasn't clear on myself what questions to ask. Um, but if I think any time now, I think it would be different. I think if I were ever, as you know, first time, you're kind of oblivious, but the next time, I think I would be more aware of what that, in fact, I'm uber aware, which probably you are too, if you see or sense something, and I know women who've gone through this multiple times have shared, um, I think you have to reflect, you really have to be honest with yourself, and maybe it's asking tough questions. What's going on that's making me feel triggered or impacting my body like in just looking at the situation and you may not have the answers but I think you'll have an awareness that something isn't right which makes you maybe um be able to focus you know be more alert as to what's happening yeah I I think this sort of uh, reflection is uh, absolutely crucial but also very difficult to, to do. So uh, there is uh, uh, the need for uh, being aware that you yeah. need to do uh, that work, even before being aware of what's going yeah. on really. Uh, Especially if you're in a work environment where it's not talked about. 
it's different if you're in an open situation and these you can talk about these behaviors. But if we're specifically talking about it happening at work, it's hard to reflect if the culture doesn't endorse reflection. Hmm. I, I can definitely uh, see that. Now, Amber, very often th there are women that have the tendency of showing this kind of rivalry. Others that perhaps we wouldn't really expect that they behave in a very nice way yeah. until something happens, until they get promoted in the work yeah. environment. Why do we change? I think if you're in an environment where you've been with people and you're promoted, it might feel a little lonelier at the top and that you're in a different position. Um, I don't know why women change, except for, I think sometimes it's the scarcity factor, like that, okay, I've, I'm now at this place, I need to keep doing this, or I'm competing to not lose how far I've come. Um, so many different reasons, but I also think, and not to be a negative Nelly, but if somebody is a personality at one level and then they change when they go up, then that was in them all the time, you know, like um, they still had the means to act that way because I've seen some lovely women who've been nice at this position. And if they've gotten a promotion, they're equally nice and they want to bring women with them, you know, like they, they're, they're of the more mentality versus the less than. So I, um, I think it comes back down to everybody is a little bit different and it's the environment you're in and it's um, who you often, I think it's women are, who are they trying to prove something to? And often it's an internal struggle within themselves. Uh, I like where you are coming from and uh, considering the fact that even though with their behavior, they want to appear as the stronger element, perhaps they are the weakest uh, of, of all, because uh, as the person at the receiving end, you will be affected over a longer period of time. But definitely there is a, a problem on their own side, I would say, and they don't consider themselves perhaps uh, strong enough to Yes, but if you ask them that, they would probably 100% deny it. And so I, you know, I talk a lot to women, but I think the thing is with this behavior, it started at a very young age. It can continue on till you're much older. Um, I have constant talks with my daughter now who's 14. It, it's a hard age, um, but as much as it hurts to be on the receiving end of somebody's ugly behavior, you have no control over what they are doing at all. You, sure, they may say you've done something to make them mad or to trigger them or whatever they are doing, but really they are in control of their own behavior. And what you are in control of is how you respond to it. And it can hurt like awful and it can be miserable and you wonder why, but truly their behavior has everything to do with them and you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and you're on the receiving end of it. That's a, another very good point. So it's true that we cannot control others, only 
ourselves. But what else can we do other than obviously take note, as you mentioned before, to protect ourselves? In the workplace or as a whole, um, I think at work, I'll talk about work. I'm a firm believer of having a, well, first off, let me backtrack. You have to cope with the behavior. Um, And there are, you can cope immediately, like, you know, going for a walk with a friend, have a glass of wine, venting to somebody about it. But there's also long-term coping because I think um, this can have huge mental, emotional physical ramifications even I know you know your body is feeling something and it has to come out so it will come out in a physical way um I believe um this type of behavior if it's ongoing and long term is a full function of bullying and so um I'm I firmly believe I'm not in the area to diagnose it but some women have had PTSD as a result of this behavior so Coping with it can help you, whether as you had mentioned, seeing um, a therapist or, you know, figure, you know, other ways where you can really hone in and learn how it has impacted you. And that um, leads to forgiveness. So. Which I love. (laughs) This was a huge part of my research. Like you, forgiveness is all about you and not about them. And so you have to forgive the situation. It doesn't mean you condone the behavior. Doesn't necessarily even mean that you forgive that individual personally. It means you're forgiving the situation in order to move on. Because if you, if it's consuming you and you can't move on, which is a way of coping, then she still has control over you. And so it's hard. But when I did my official dissertation research, I interviewed nine women and all but one of them forgave the situation. And the other woman was bitter and it consumed her. And the women who forgave were able to take what they learned and flip it to know what they did not want to be. And I think that's how you can cope and move forward. So that's a really long-winded answer to your question, but. <laughs> no, I, I totally love what you are saying because that was exactly my um, experience uh, with what I uh, went through and with that former friend of mine. And yeah. for example, she tried to approach me um, last Christmas and uh, uh, she sent me a, a little token uh, for Christmas and uh, when I saw it was from her obviously uh, I had all sorts of <laughs> emotions going on no uh, and I said okay I cannot accept that so I sent it back with a little note saying thank you but I cannot accept it yeah uh, I wish you all the best for your life and to yeah. get an- anything that you want and deserve but I won't be there to yeah. witness your life. And I don't want you to witness mine. Yeah. And it was a way for me to say, okay, I sort of accept the fact that that situation has happened. Not the situation, accepting the situation, but accepting that it has happened and I cannot really uh, change it. Yes. So how do I move now yeah. from there? And... For me, what 
happened was very serious and very damaging at, at so many levels. So I've taken the decision that for me, in order to move forward, I cannot have her in my life. The, yeah. the trust is no longer there. So, and, and that is the, the forgiveness. And I think it's a really much, uh, very much aligned with what you were saying as well, is uh, giving yourself that consideration. I've learned my lesson, the, the lesson that came with that story. Now I'm ready to move forward. And uh, thank you very much for, for mentioning that. I really... Oh, yes. Yeah, sure. Well, and I think when you, you'll feel that a weight has been lifted, like, you know, I... I've forgiven my situation as well. Do I still look back on it and think, that was just crappy? Yes, I do. Because it wasn't fun. But I, I, for the work I do, I call it the best worst thing that could have happened. Because I thought I knew everything about female rivalry because I'd studied it so in-depthly. I think I needed to truly feel those feelings to really have lived it in I had empathy before, but now my empathy level is sky high for what? Because I truly know. And, you know, there's, I think of other situations, and I'm sure with you, there's an amount of sadness, but there's probably no way that you could continue on being her friend. And I've spoke to so many women that they say they don't have female friends as a result of this they will never work for another woman or they will never be on an all female team again. And I think that's tragic because we are half of the population and that's selling yourself short because of something you've experienced, which was awful, but to let that consume you and not move forward with other women, it's heartbreaking. Absolutely. I totally agree on this. So how can we turn the sort of competition that yeah. is negative into, uh, I don't know, positive competition perhaps, or collaboration even better? Yes, collab I'm, I love collaboration over competition. First off, I do think positive competition is awesome. It can fuel you to be better. In fact, today I just wrote about having a best friend at work. I think sometimes that's a taboo or organizations don't endorse that, but I, you'll, you'll see with studies that productivity goes up. People have companionship, but they have a partner and they know they're supported. So it comes back in my mind to psychological safety, especially at work. But I, I could take that out of work and put it in your own personal social circles as well. But it's in, an, you're in environments where you feel you are accepted for who you are unconditionally. So it means there's open communication. You um, There's trust. Um, there's promoted self-awareness. So people are aware of their actions and what they're doing. You're engaging with authenticity. You're creating inclusion. So um, I um, think when organizations are truly looking at psychological safety as a component or how they want their organizational culture to be, they're looking at all of these behaviors. In my mind, if female rivalry is prevalent, and often a lot of organizations will say, well, I don't have that. It's because they're not naming it. I'm sure they have that along with other negative behaviors. But um, 
with that psychological safety, you have collaboration. You have, you're getting to know your colleagues and workers as real people, which I think is a huge piece. Like they're not just the worker that sits next to you. They have a personal stake in the game. Um, You know that Susan is going home because her kid has a soccer game tonight. Like in your supportive, you become more supportive when that happens. I also think a big element is implementing bystander training. You talk about these negative behaviors yearly or whenever you do your HR type of training and you know it's a behavior that won't be tolerated. So, um, or you have code words or different things to call people out on it so it's not accepted. And, you know, it's baby steps, it's little things at a time, but slowly you can build a positive community, but it starts with the leadership and everybody on board as we're talking about a working environment to get everybody on board. Because if you've been burned once, you're not going to feel safe to bring your full self to the the picture, you know? Absolutely. And you will start playing small. Just avoid that situation which affects you personally, because obviously you don't have that fire anymore. You don't feel fulfilled but also the the organization. So I think it's very important for organization to uh, step up in this uh, conversation and take an active role instead of saying, oh, we don't have that problem. They'll lose people. I mean, um, productivity goes down. Women eventually will get, you know, the women lose their voice. They feel excluded. They're not participating. They will eventually leave. So you have time, 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 money and talent that just walked out the door. And I know often women have told me they were even fearful to give like an exit HR interview. They didn't bring it up because they knew it, they w- they felt they would have been laughed at or not believed about the behavior, which is sad. Do you think there is also a fear of mentioning this uh, kind of situations because I don't think, well, I, I, I probably never really openly uh, realized before I burn out uh, yes. all these situations. Um, I never really brought them fully into the, the opening. And it was only in recent times when, um, you know, I had to sort of restart working with the same people and in the same environment where I burn out, in the same environment where... I felt betrayed by my best friend, that a lot of this conversation uh, started to to happen. So I started to to talk more openly, but I had to do a lot of work on myself in order to get to that point. I had to uh, overcome all my fears of saying, oh, you know, if I talk about this, I might be affected somehow in my work. Fear is huge. I think it's fear on personal, too. I mean, several levels. There's fear of being vulnerable, which is huge. Um, sometimes uh, vulnerability isn't accepted at work, and that depends on the culture you're in. There's fear of, um, well, this is how I make my living. This is how my paycheck comes in. This is I want from this position to the next position, if I speak up, they're going to stop me. There's fear of, sometimes these women can be very powerful. And so who's on their side? 
who, you know, but again, I think what you bring up is a wonderful thing. Once you start talking about it, maybe other women will come out of the woodwork. Well, that happened to me too, by the same woman. I thought I was the only one. I think the key thing when, um, the most prominent theme I've heard women feel like they're the only one because it's a taboo topic and you're not. In fact, the more we talk about it, the more we're going to see how many women are impacted. But I've even found um, HR or senior leadership have been fearful of some of these types of strong women, you know, and so they don't want to get involved because it forces them to take action. But it's hard to talk about, but I think what you're doing is very admirable if you can't talk about it, because that's the only way to advocate change. Uh, absolutely. I mean, what I've been doing with my company, for example, is to uh, make them know that there are all these situations. And I discussed this uh, at a length with my therapist. So how can I approach them in a way yeah. that I convey the message without being uh, sort of bitchy. Yeah. So I started to um, name the names uh, yeah. so that they are aware that it's not just fantasy. You know, I can name people, but also saying in a way when this situation happens, yes. which is not, which is different from when this person behaves this way. Uh, and I think they are more receptive when yeah. you focus on what happens. Well, and I think that's where the documentation comes in, because if you don't have documentation, unfortunately, it's hearsay. And that's when they'll think it's a she said, she said, or it's women being dramatic or a cat fight. And with you and working with your therapist, if you can write down tangible things of this is what happened and this is what resulted in it, that's big because it's not just impacting you. I mean, you have a story which you shared with me that it others were involved. I mean, it's very clearly visible. So um, that documentation comes in handy to help push the change. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is what, what we need because at the end of the day, it's true that it's our job and it's true that it's paying our bills and everything, you know, the paycheck, but also it's only one part of our life and our life is much more than than that so i think it's uh, unfair that some of us have to pay the price for that rivalry well and you don't want to work in an environment where there's fear That's you know look at how much time we spend at work and to have fear is um that's not healthy absolutely Amber, you mentioned that you have a 14 year old Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have children myself, but my sister has three, and one of them is a, a little girl. She is beautiful, seven-year-old uh, girl. For me, is the smartest kid in the world. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I'm fine with being uh, tagged as biased there. <laughs> What's your advice? or parents or anybody with uh, children in their lives, particularly um, baby girls or little ladies, yes. how to help them grow into a, an understanding of what's going on in their lives and learning about these things and so they can have the tools, if you like, 
to yeah. deal with them? I think I was shocked. So I I remember my first kind of negative grade school encounter was probably about fifth grade. So I remember when my daughter came home in kindergarten. And I, so I thought, okay, I have until middle school. And no, I didn't. Um, she was talking about mean girls on the playground. And um, I was shocked. And I thought, well, gosh, at that age, they're five years old. This is not a behavior that's intrinsic within them. This is something they are watching and learning. They're emulating the behavior. So I think um, I'm a firm believer of raising strong girls. I think it comes back to what we talked about. Um, whose behavior do you have control over? Only your own. So are you going to be best friends with everybody? No, probably not. But you can always, always, always be kind. You can always include. And I think it's teaching our young girls to also have a voice because I look back, I felt when I went through this that my voice was lost. And um, I look at other things throughout my life that I feel I didn't have the confidence or have my voice. So it's raising our daughters to be confident and kind, but have a voice and not put up with things that you know you don't need to put up with. And that doesn't mean you know it all. It just means that you're confident in your own skin and they can do whatever they want. And um, it's a hard lesson because it's going to happen a lot. And I've seen, you know, and I, one thing I always tell parents, look at how much you get involved with the friend dramas because parents always remember, but girls can butt heads one day and it can be mean and ugly. And the next day they'll be back to being BFFs. So watch, watch how you're getting involved because the parents sometimes can get equally as bad. So just know, let your kids know you're there to support them. And I think it's good to talk about these types of behaviors and to really be aware of how you feel. If somebody is making you feel less than, look at why. Is that a true friend? I don't think so because true friends don't do that. But I think it's just having open, candid conversations, constant conversations and I try to encourage my daughter to have several different types of friends from different groups, from school, from the neighborhood, from sports, just so you have a good mix of different people that know you. So it's hard, though. <laughs> it is, because obviously we want to see them growing into uh, strong women and, uh, you know, not being affected by these situations. And a lot of it is... So, you know, I didn't grow up with social media, but I call it the keyboard courage. A lot of mean stuff happens online. So, I mean, I think it's really being aware of what your kids are involved with and who their friends are online, because that can be very tricky to navigate. Absolutely. I'm, a, I'm aware of the time. So before concluding this conversation, beautiful conversation, I would like to come back on you and, uh, Knowing a little bit what you are doing right now with, uh, in uh, your job and uh, if there is anything particular that you are planning and you want to share with us. So I have my book behind frenemy lines that is um, for sale on paperback, audio and digital. 
Um, I, I give talks and training workshops on this topic. Um, and I'm working now, I'm hopeful at some point at the early part of next year on a digital course about how to navigate this and what it's like. And it will be more geared towards the working environment, but really helping women to um, overcome it and be aware of how that impacts you at work. So um, as soon as I start having um, specifics about what that is and it's out of my head, I will. Um, it will be on my website and social media to share with everybody, so. Fantastic. So what are your website and social media then? Where can people find you? Yes, thank you. So my um, website is tobecoachingandconsulting.com. That's T-O-B-E. And then I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as um, Dr. Amber Tishner, PhD. So you can find me on whatever platform um, that suits your fancy. And then um, if you're curious about why good women walk and the mysterious elephant in the boardroom, I have um, a little PDF that um, folks can click on my website to learn more about that as well. So a little freebie there to help you know if are you experiencing any of these symptoms. So Fantastic. So we will put all the links in the description of today's episode so everyone will know exactly how to get in touch with you. One final uh, question. If there was one take-home message that you would love everybody to remember from this conversation, what that would be? I think it's you're not alone. I think that is one of the messages that impacts me so much because women feel lonely when they go through this. And I think the more we talk about it, um, whether it's a, happening to you personally in your family, professionally, the more you it's not a taboo talk topic and it can be talked about. So to know you're not alone is truly my biggest message, but that this can be overcome. It may take time. You may have to cope, forgive and move on. I'm not belittling what happened, but there are women out there that uplift and empower and support one another. And I, my wish for all women is to be able to have some of those friends in, in their circle because I have that and yeah, it takes work to find it, but when you do have it, it's, um, it's amazing. Totally agree. Thank you. Well, I hope that this episode has provided insights and inspiration on how we don't have to put our heads under the sand if we experience female rivalry as well, but we can take everything that Amber has told us and turn that competition into collaboration. And on this point, I want to leave you with a quote from Steve Jobs, who said, great things in business are never done by one person. They are done by a team of people, which I believe goes along with what you were just saying here. So thank you so much, Amber, for being here with us, accepting the invitation and for sharing so much with our community. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Rosanna, for having me. I appreciate it so much. This has been a lovely conversation. I totally agree. Fantastic. I love it. Well, we would like to know also what you think about this topic. Are you or someone you know leaving behind frenemy lines? If so, I'm sure there's plenty in today's episode to make a change. But if you have specific questions that perhaps we didn't address today, let us know and get in touch. 
Also, don't forget to check Amber's website, her book, and to follow her on social media. You will find all the links in the description of today's episode. If you've been affected in any way by the topic we discussed today, as always, I invite you to seek professional help. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at forgiventrive at gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.